so would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Jesus. We looked at the fivefold. We looked that it was, in fact, the very DNA of Jesus. We heard the theology behind it. In fact, this is the goal by which we will win the world through the fivefold blessing, that through this fivefold gracing and gifting of Jesus' own DNA within his body, we're going to reach this world with the full stature and ministry of Jesus. We've been infants being tossed to and fro too often. Now it is time in this day, in this age for the church to walk in a worthy manner. As he said earlier in chapter 4, we're to walk worthily in a worthy manner. And what's interesting in the scriptures is it goes in the gospels that Jesus has disciples and then in the book of Acts it calls out those disciples to be those of the way. And then as we go to the epistles, we move from discipleship to those in the way, walking in the way, then being called Christians, Christ-like ones. And then Paul calls us imitators. All right, we've gone from being students of the Lord. We've gone from studying and following after Jesus to becoming a people who are Christ-like to where we are people who literally imitate Jesus. We imitate Jesus. Amen? Amen? And this is where Paul is taking us. He's laid down enough theological groundwork that now he needs to give application. It's not enough to come to church and learn a Bible lesson. We have to apply it. And we have to be Jesus in the streets. And in starting in verse 17, he says this, Now, now, Knowing the fivefold, knowing that the DNA of Jesus is in us, knowing that apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is within the body of Christ. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as pagans do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He says that with tongue in cheek. Of course he knows the Ephesians know Christ. He says that to goad them and to prod them. If you really are in Christ and do follow him, he spent three years in Ephesus, the longest place he had ever spent. He had trained them up, assuming that you have heard about him and taught him and were taught him and as the truth in Jesus. Of course they were. Paul himself did that. Then he says this to put off your old man, which belongs to the former manner of life, it's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's no room for carnal Christianity, flesh man Christianity. Therefore, having put away falsehood, lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. James himself said this. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put away the practices. If you were a thief before you got saved, put it away. Learn the ways of Christ. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What's coming out of our mouths? What words are coming out of us? Are they seasoned with the grace of Jesus Christ? When we talk, are people hearing Jesus talk? Don't mingle salt water with pure water, James says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, you're sealed all the way till Christ returns, so you should behave like Jesus all the way till Christ returns. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Clean up our act, he says. Don't live out of the flesh, out of the old man. It's dead. Don't live like pagans. We should live in righteousness. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is worship. This is worship. True worship is living a life in devotion to Christ by every word we speak, every action we take, how we labor and what we do with our neighbors and how we speak and our attitudes of the heart. That is worship. That's ascribing worth to Jesus Christ. We have limited worship to what we do when we sing on Sunday mornings. But true worship is a life ablaze and on fire in devotion to our Lord and our Master Jesus Christ. We're to forgive others as Christ, has, as God has forgiven us for Christ's sake. You weren't forgiven because of some ability of your own or some virtue you have. We were all forgiven because we were sinners and we were enemies of God, but we were forgiven for Christ's sake, the love of God sent to us. He goes on now and he says, come on, let's do this thing that we're preaching about. Chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God. Come on. How many of you have ever seen people who do imitations of other people? Isn't it amazing how they can shift their voice? Uh, 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 what do you call those people? They're imitators. Impersonators. Here's the difference. An impersonator is not that one. But an imitator is that you have the ability to imitate Christ himself. And why is it we can imitate him? Because he put his spirit and his DNA in us. So I can be an imitator. And he said, not just of Jesus. He says, be an imitator of God. The triune fullness of God. Be an imitator of God. Wow. So uh, uh, impersonators learn the traits and, and the, the stance, right? Uh, I don't know any 
guys lately that do that, but uh, I just remember some of the old ones who would do Johnny Carson and they'd take the pose of, of Johnny Carson and, and do his mannerisms or a president or this or that. They'd learn the voice inflections. They would learn the attitude and people would watch and go, oh my gosh, you can't tell. That's so right on. Is the world looking at the church and saying, oh my gosh, that must be what Jesus is completely about. I can hear his voice in the people who follow him. I can see his mannerisms. He says, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're supposed to give our lives for the sake of others. Instead of us trying to get our best deal and our best, we're to give up for others. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the sanctified ones. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may sure, be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous is an idolater. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Could there be imposters among us? Or is it that we are just so poorly imitating Christ? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but ex instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is, is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, for Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This is a, a great admonition to the church. And how could he command and ask so much of us? Because God imparted himself into us. Nothing less than himself. Don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. For it is that Spirit, that Spirit that fills us. And so he says, put off the old man. In fact, Paul has a, an illustration that he says concerning his past life and who he is now in Christ. Paul said that he, in fact, was uh, a Pharisee among Pharisees, according to the law, perfect, born of the tribe of Benjamin. But what did he consider of all his religious activity and everything before? He says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss 
of all things, and I count them as dung in order that I may gain Christ. This verse has been cleaned up for your sakes. And I'm not kidding. The, the Greek word for dung is um, a vulgar term for fecal matter. In fact, they know this because they found it in ancient graffiti as profanity. I, I think I don't have to fill in the blank of what he means by dung, caca, poo, crap. Close to the line, but not fully expressing exactly what he's saying. And he's saying it this way to shock and to make a point. Everything else is crap. It's waste. It's fecal matter. Can you get any stronger than that? And he's doing this purposely to allude to something in Scripture. He's saying that when we begin to do the things of our old man, when we couple in our life of sacredness, of sanctity, of holiness, and we look at the porn, or we gossip and we slander other people's names, or we begin to ridicule, or we steal, or we lie, or we cheat our employer. It smells like dung to God. Oh, no, no, no. He, he, he forgives me. He's, he's, he's so gracious. He's gracious and it stinks too of what he's putting up with. And Paul specifically uses this term to those who are servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. How many of you have ever gone into a washroom in a, in a, in a restaurant and you see the term, please wash your hands? You would think that would be a given after what you just completed. But what gets me is the sign that says, employees, wash your hands. I'm hoping that the man or the woman who is serving me, my food, read the sign, but is not just a hearer of the word. but is a do-doer. Oh, he was a do-doer. Is a doer. Come on, I got to get the potty jokes in. You know that they did a survey concerning the little mints and the little nuts that are on the counters as you leave, and when they did the survey and checked them chemically, they found urine and fecal matter on those candies. Because of those who came to the restaurant and used the restroom, didn't wash their hands, ate their meal, and on the way out, touched that stuff. You're not going to take that again, are you? <laughs> Must be wrapped. Must be wrapped. Why would Paul use such excrement as a point of reference? Because he says, and, and Scripture says, who can ascend? To the mount of God. Who shall ascend up the mount or the hill of the Lord? What the hill of the Lord is is Zion. 
And who will ascend to the mount and to his holy place? And the answer is, he who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Your yes is yes and your no is no. It's not a yes until I get a better offer. It's not a yes until I decide whether I feel like it. If you've committed to it, you will do it. If you've promised, you will follow through. Who shall ascend to the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does this mean, clean hands? It means wash your hands after you go to the lavatory. It it means more than that. Clean hands and a pure heart. How do we get them? Clean hands represents all that we do. How can we approach God? We've got to be clean in our actions, in what we do. And secondly, a pure heart, what we think, and in our desires and our attitudes. Who can ascend and approach a holy God? Well, I can because of the grace of God, the blood of Jesus covers me. Yeah, it covers you, and that covers you so that your sin would be removed, the old man removed, so that a new nature could come in you, and that the person of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of what? Holiness dwells in us. So that now all of our choices are about what I think and what I put my hands to. Because anything else is dung. It's crap. My old life. Now God can redeem anything. But what we're referencing here is the holy purity of God and his spirit of holiness and righteousness. Israel had to learn purity laws. In fact, there's a very interesting purity law. Let me read it to you in Deuteronomy 23. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 12 and 14, it says this. This is the law of Moses. You must have a place outside the camp to go and relieve yourself. And you must have a digging tool in your equipment so that when you relieve yourself, you can dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God walks throughout your camp to protect you and deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy, lest he see anything unclean among you and turn away from you. That's Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 14. And it says, when you go poop, get a shovel, go outside the camp, dig a hole, and bury it. Do not leave excrement in the camp. Why? Because the God who watches over you walks among you in your camp and God doesn't want to walk in your poop so I have to ask this question if the God of Israel walked in the camp of the Israelites he didn't just watch over them he walked among them Well, the God of the New Testament Jesus Christ doesn't just look over us he dwells in us and he doesn't want to walk in the poop either is this clear enough for us but you see we make uh, we make excuses for the crap we bring into our lives and what we think and what we put our hands to and I'm as guilty as anybody else 
And what God's asking is for us to clean up our act and to really consider what sin is. What sin is in the life of a sanctified one. For us to completely grasp what we're offering God. And that's why he was so ferocious and so angry in the book of Malachi with the priests. You know, in offering sacrifice to God, when they would offer the bulls and the sheep and the lambs, he would say this, concerning the bulls and the lambs, he says, you take the flesh, the skin. When we offer sacrifice to me, take the skin, take uh, the, the flesh of the bull, and then take its dung, its excrement. You don't offer that to me. Not on my altar. You take the dung of that bull and you burn it with fire outside the camp. This is a sin offering. And you approach my throne with holiness and reverence. You take the crap out of here, is what he's saying. More specifically, the bull crap. But how much BS is in the church? Come on. How much do we offer unto God? Our acts of worship. How much is performance-based? How much? I'm not kidding around here. I'm using this language. I'm not using it. God's using it. Because I don't know how much deeper he can get to understanding in our hearts how foul this is. You're hoping that when you go to the bathroom, someone pulled a courtesy flush. Many of you don't understand what that is. That's when the odor's so bad, would you please flush sooner than when you're done? But do we even give this kind of consideration to God when we come into the house, when we worship Him, when we come together? We're to ascribe the value and the worth of who He is. And He said, quit the bull crap, get it out of my camp. And He's so furious about that with the priests in Malachi, he says this, shouldn't a son offer reverence? He says this, I'm going to rebuke you to the priests. I rebuke your offspring and I'm going to spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. You ever, you ever thought you'd hear God say that? He's saying, I'm looking for one man to shut the door of the temple so that your worship could stop. It sickens me. Because the priests were sleeping with other women. They were leaving the wives of their youth. They were ripping God off with the tithe. They were not fully tithing on what they were supposed to tithe. They were offering lame sheep, wounded animals on the altar and keeping the better ones for themselves. And he said, you know what? You know the dung that you separate out and put to the side? I'm going to take that dung because that's about what you're offering me and I'm going to rub it in your face because that's what you're doing to me and my house. Pastor, we just had an awesome time of worship. Why are you saying this? Uh, because Jesus told me to. This is a message beyond the 20-minute worship service we had. This is about Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday night, Thursday and Friday. What are we offering God? Are we giving Him the best of our livestock and our livelihood? 
Are we separating the crap out of our lives and honoring God with the best time that I have, with the best words that I have? And I stand before you a failed man because I feel like I've got crap rubbed on my face, if I could be honest with you, because I have to be perfectly honest. And if I'm not, I'm afraid of sharing more bull crap from the pulpit. I'm afraid of a holy God and what I've been offering. I know it's not good enough, and I know I've given him some lame offerings. How about you? Could someone weep with me? Could someone cry out with me and say, God, clean my face, clean my hands. I want to ascend on the mountain of God. I doubt him at times. I wonder. I criticize him. God is saying, if I'm ever going to bring something to the church to change planet Earth, you've got to separate the crap from the reality of my holiness. And all I've been doing is lightening up the actual words that he would use. That Paul used. What is our worship? What does the world walk by concerning our worship? Do they smell a holy fragrance of reality, of exalting Jesus Christ? Do people get the exaltation of Jesus? Or do they get crossover hits where you can't tell if the worship song's to Jesus or if it's a love song? What are we doing? We're making everything we do more attractive to the world. Are we worshiping the world? Are we offering sacrifice to the world? Oh, but we want to win more people to Jesus, so we got to lighten up on them. Lighten up on the pagans? They need light. Paul said, expose the deeds of darkness. Let them understand they're stumbling in the dark. Instead, we're getting in bed with them. And God is saying, will somebody quit the crap? Purity. Who can ascend? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Take out the crude jokes. Watch what we're saying. You heard it from Paul. The way we talk to each other, treat each other right. Love each other. Sacrifice your life for another. What is it that we're offering Christ as his body? We're imitating him. How good are you at imitating Jesus? How good am I at imitating him? I want to know him. I want to know him. But Paul said when he cried that cry, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And he also said in the fellowship of his what? Suffering. When we want a Jesus to take us out of all suffering, but I'm telling you, suffering is what shapes and molds us like Jesus. If Jesus went to the cross, he commands us to carry it. And so this morning, we're to be imitators of Jesus. And Paul put it straight, anything less than Christ in you is dung. God, help us. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we felt pure and true worship this morning. For those who participated, could there be some among us today that just didn't feel like it? 
And the question is, taking time out to honor you, how much did we give you? Was it a lame excuse for worship or was it a true heart of worship? Some of us are broken and wounded. Some of us are hurting. But still you require clean hands. And so I call out to us as a people to turn from our wicked ways, to repent, and to wash ourselves in the pure water of His Spirit. And I'm opening the altars so that we as a church could cleanse our hands and cleanse our hearts and remove the foul smell of carnality and have the fragrant aroma of a sweet sacrifice.